a 10-minute-long fusion odyssey. A song with an inimitable performance. And a lullaby with obscure origins. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. We've got a very fun episode for you today as we are talking songs that are impossible to cover. We've got three tracks for you that for one reason or another are just incredibly difficult to recreate. And joining me for this deep dive into some impossible covers are, of course, my frequent co-host, Mahaya Lee, and producer, composer, songwriter, and audio engineer, Retta. Retta's production skills, particularly on vocals, have been widely recognized on major TV shows such as NBC's The Voice, American Idol, and on records such as Elephants to the End. In addition to working on his own music, he actively writes and produces in collaboration with songwriters, producers, and artists published by Universal Music Publishing Group, Warner, Sony ATV, Cobalt, APG, Prescription Songs, BMG, and AAM. We got to know Retta several months ago as he was engineering a session that we did while we were working on a new course for Soundfly, and it was just such a joy to reconnect with him and get his perspective on this episode. And as for current updates in the world of Soundfly, our Summer of Synthwave Calm Trues Remix Contest is coming to a close soon. But you still have until Saturday, September 17th at 11.59pm Eastern to get your remixes of the unreleased Calm Trues track Dianetics in to win some incredible prizes. We've got some amazing offerings from Arturia, samples from Mars, D16, and Kilohertz. So if you want to win, you just have to submit your remix again by Saturday evening, just like Ali Alvarado did with this banger. amazing music from Ali at alialvarado.com. And the Summer of Synthwave Comtrues Remix Contest is, of course, only open to Soundfly subscribers. So if you are interested in participating and maybe interested in subscribing to check out all of our amazing courses, head to soundfly.com and be sure to use the discount code PODCAST in all caps to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. And that is just about enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Songs that are impossible to cover. All right, folks, another themes and variation 
coming at you. Mejia, how are you doing? I'm fine, Carter. How are you? I am fantastic, Mejia, and I am pleased to be joined by producer, composer, songwriter, and audio engineer extraordinaire, the one and only Retta. Retta, how are you doing? Amazing. Thank you. Awesome, dude. So good to see you. And your dog um, in the background of the video. And your dog, Kiara, in the background. Fantastic. Um, Hopefully she doesn't bark too much. But. I was too. Hey, we've got lots of our dog, Norman, has been in plenty of episodes. Yeah. So dog barking is totally fine. Um, but uh, Red, I mean, for folks that don't know, uh, we got acquainted down at Wax Studios uh, down in Los Angeles as we were filming a uh, brand new course. With an artist that uh, I won't mention just yet because we want to keep it secret, but uh, dude, it was such a pleasure getting to work with you. And now it's so great to have you on this episode as we're talking songs that are impossible to cover. This was a fun one to pick. Mm -hmm. I, and Reddit, thank you so much for picking this Good theme. Choice. It was a fun one oh, to find a song. Uh, knowing the songs that you guys both picked for this episode, was there anything that kind of came to mind that you didn't end up going with? I, I did consider going a more straightforward route than what I eventually landed on with this. And I I thought about doing Bohemian Rhapsody because I know I've heard oh, it covered. Oh, God. Yeah. But like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the greatest voice that has ever been on the planet and ever will be. So that's an ambitious undertaking. Um, some John Cage stuff. Like, I don't know how convenient it is to drop a piano from a building for most people. Mm -hmm. See that? Like, yeah, when your brain gets unleashed on these themes, I'm always blown away by the avenues and those those hey, seem like perfect ways to go i thought i was trying to find a song where an instrument was used that no longer exists of yeah course, I, I like couldn't that find a song like that it just wasn't possible but retta yeah is there anything that came to mind for you uh, other than the selection that you made um yeah i think there's the song um if you're not the one by daniel bedingfield um, that is literally impossible to sing. He goes basically <laughs> from like super low verses to like super high, very interesting, like falsetto-ish. This is the question that I couldn't land on an answer for myself with. Everything else I could kind of like come to some sort of resolution internally and be like, okay, that's what that means. But in a situation where the original artist is not the writer, because mm -hmm. the writer probably recorded some sort of demo or played it for some, like if you play it for, you know, two mm. people, I consider that a public performance is like that definitive release <laughs> version a cover technically. Ooh. Or is that the original? Retta, what do you think? That That's a tree falls in the forest uh, type question. Yeah, I can't answer it. I think that um, it's a very interesting point. And I think that originally, like when, what I consider being like the actual version is the one that is released and that yeah. is successful mm. in, a, in a sense where, you know, a lot of people are, you know, when they are thinking of this song, they can only hear that specific performance and to me the hardest part is not necessarily getting to do it the same way but really having capturing the magic of that specific recording that specific performance and i have a few examples like you know Layla by eric clapton yeah. for example the actual record is like a rock with distorted guitar record mm -hmm.
but the version that everyone knows is the live acoustic from MTV Unplugged. And that's that became kind of like the actual that's like the main version. Yeah. I have to agree with Retta that like the definitive version, because you can kind of look at it if I'm relating it, you know, we have this film scoring course. So we're thinking about film a lot at Soundfly, I think. And you can kind of, I'm trying to think of like what the equivalent is in, in the, in the making of a film, but maybe it's like storyboarding and that's kind of where the, the demo, demo process is happening. Mm-hmm. And you would never associate like yeah, the movie's not a, a theatrical release with like that. So it it's tough. Yeah, I don't think like the demo. I I think that's mere. Well, I would think that yeah, if that's we wanted merely to get... a way just to share the idea of what the song could sure. be and and a jumping off point. But so. that does justify my selection later a little more. But um, yeah. I also think I like love that. you know there are I'm sure there's a legal definition that like something around like the first one to be copyrighted or something like that gets to stand as the original but anyway interesting conversation i'd love to hear more opinions from more people so if you have them send them to us podcast lawyers yeah lawyers (laughs) please uh let's get into some music guys uh i've got our first selection for the episode queued up and here it is folks we're <laughs> i have so many questions oh, <laughs> i am so excited we are listening to return of kung fu world champion by the one and only hiromi uahara red i'm guessing this is the first time that this you is this the first track. time and uh it feels like it's a song for a video game where you never pass the first stage. <laughs> <laughs> it totally does <laughs> It does. Especially um, the name, like throwing that in so, there doesn't, yeah. doesn't... Yeah, the name's incredible. The deal with this track for me and, and where, you know, Impossible to Cover is a bit of a bit of a misnomer. I actually did cover this song. Um, <laughs> this takes me back to, as many of my stories do, Grand McEwen University, a uh, school I went to before Berkeley. Uh, we had these big end of year recitals um, at the... The theater at the school is like 300 people auditorium and you had to put together an hour's worth of music and That's it was so like long. you were judged on it and mm-hmm. like you could just you could see the panel in the middle of the theater there were lights on them but then everything else was it was just this wild experience i got hip to hiromi through i became a big tony gray fan mm-hmm. he's the bass player on this this record crazy story for him he is john mclaughlin's uh nephew i believe mm-hmm. john mclaughlin the incredible virtuosic uh, guitarist. Tony Gray got into a car accident when he was 19 and broke his back. And while he was laid up in the hospital for months, uh, McLaughlin brought him a bass. 
And Tony started to learn to play the bass while he was in his hospital bed and became this like ridiculously good bass player, like incredibly technically proficient, uh, beautiful tone, just everything about him. So I got into him. Like, did and- that affect his technique? Like does... Like when you see him play, does he have weird posture mm-hmm. or something? Because he learned to yes, play. Yes, not not weird posture, but there is some very unique technical things about his playing that I, I would like to. Would touch you attribute on in a that bit. though to learning to play bass in hospital bed at all? Maybe I I don't know that I would attribute it to that. He does wear his bass very high, or at, least <laughs> he did kind of at the time, and that's yeah. that's possible. It's very possible. We'll touch on some of this in cool. a in a little bit, I believe. But so got into Tony, and I was like, well, what's Tony playing on? And he he is a big part of Hiromi's music uh, in her early records for sure. I got into this record in particular, Spiral. It's incredible. I absolutely like as far as like fusion jazz piano trio stuff it's a favorite for sure i kind of like hipped everybody at McEwen to hiromi and this backfired in a big way for me because all the piano players then for the recital were like i want to do a hiromi song and then i would inevitably get asked to play on these tracks so one of them was spiral i had to learn spiral it's incredibly long winding track very difficult love and laughter was another one But the one that felt like nobody's going to touch that, it was Return uh, of Kung Fu. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for my recital. Let's go for it. It's going to blow people's Mm -hmm. minds. And uh, it was incredibly challenging. And I'll get into that. But what were you guys' first initial thoughts? Uh, It's just very energetic and fun. You know, it, it puts you in a mood where I'm the kind of person, by the way, who whatever... I'm listening to like the BPM if I'm eating and listening to music at the same time I'll kind of subconsciously chew <laughs> at the same pace and this thing just like you know it's I feel like good vibes overall it's just nice. very entertaining yeah and um also you're trying to figure out what's going on in like the arpeggiated um movement which is um a good thing but you know it's it's funny. Music is this thing where it just makes you feel a certain way and it's hard to describe. And I feel like, yeah, this is kind of the main uh, feeling I got is like playful, of yeah. very fast. So like trying to keep up with it. To the credit of both Hiromi and Tony Gray, I have a lot of trouble distinguishing between the synth and the bass. Mm. Interesting. Like, there's yeah. just parts where I'm like, I know that this is a more like acrobatic bass part <laughs> than I'm used to. And I don't know how much of that is crossing over into what I'm hearing as the synth. It's interesting. I, and I'll, I, I think I'll be able to illuminate some of that in a little bit as well. But I do, I want to touch on what makes this song so impossible. One, um, of course, we mentioned Tony Gray, the bass player, Hiromi Yohara, the incredible pianist. The drummer, Martin Valhora, uh, on this uh, record needs to be shouted out as well. The track is really long. That, that's got a lot. Like the form, there are about, I tried to count them all, 12 different sections in this song, uh, not including just little transitions. Um, there's maybe variations on, on each section as well, but like <laughs> we have that many different sections going on. There's so many things that can go off the rails. There's a lot of improvisation in this piece, but even like the improvised sections are gridded around somebody holding something down, be it the drums or the bass or the, or the synth. So the hardest part of this song, I think, is the accelerando uh, section 
where it just kind of gradually gets faster and faster and faster. If something's going to fall apart, it's probably going to be in that section because you've got five bars of six, eight, and then a bar of seven at the end, bookending uh, this movement. And every single time you get to at the end of that bar of seven, you got to speed up a little bit. That's easy enough to do, just kind of speed up a little bit. And it, it's challenging as a trio because you got to kind of feel that out and nail it. And everybody's got to kind of move their tempo along together. But if you speed it up too fast, this happens five times. You're speeding this, this section up five times. If you speed it up too much on the last section, it train wrecks the rest of the song because you have a piano solo that all of a sudden, if it's at way too fast of a tempo, the piano player is going to be like, man, what do you guys do to me? It's like way too fast. And there's like all this other stuff. Exact. Well, yeah. And it's like, (laughs) it can be the drummer that does it. It could be me, the bass player that's pushing the tempo way too much. And all of a sudden we're in like these weird. And if it just feels nebulous in terms of tempo, you've got a real problem. So it's really easy to, to overshoot that. I remember drilling that section <laughs> over and over mm-hmm. and over and over and over to make sure it felt right. It's also weirdly exposed. Like the drum part in that, it's it doesn't, there's no room for, you know, kind of like faking it. Like throwing a couple little extra ornaments in to kind of pretend yeah. you got it. Like it's all just there. <laughs> yeah. I, the other thing's making this really hard, the technique on this track, the the technical side of this this piece. Um, I remember Chris Pruden, who's the piano player that I, uh, that I played with on, on this. <laughs> of course, it was Prude's incredible piano player uh, based now up in, in Toronto. Um, but yeah, there's like six different patches. And he had the Nord that Hiromi had, and he worked really hard and dialed in every sound. Uh, and they sounded great. Like he got really in the ballpark of all of them at the very least. There's four different bass tones in this. So as a bass player, it was challenging. You've See got what your... I mean? Like it's hard to tell what synth and what's bass. Uh, it is. I, I as a as a Tony Gray aficionado, it it's like maybe a little easier to zero in on what he's what he's doing. His regular tone, of course. And then a very heavy uh, delay during his solo. Then a pretty heavy reverb when he's playing chordal stuff at the beginning of uh, Hiromi's synth solo. And then he dials in a bass octave as well at the end of uh, the synth soul. Can we, since we've read on the podcast, can we take this opportunity to describe the difference between delay and reverb to listeners? Because they get lumped in together and they're not the same thing. How would you, how would you distinguish between them, Retta? So I think that mainly the delay is audible. It's an audible repetition to the listener. So they'll hear, let's say it's, um, you know, like a little guitar note. They'll hear it repeated a bunch of times. Whereas reverb usually has a way um, longer decay and it kind of washes out. So it 
it gives that feel of more of an ambience and places the instrument in a room or a space mm. versus the delay is the same thing, obviously, but let's it's the uh, specific note or pattern is more accentuated and repeated. It could be a ping pong left and right, or it could be a, just a regular one that repeats in stereo. So like a, almost like a mini like echo versus um, exactly. a space. <laughs> yeah, no, that was beautifully put. Thank you. Thank you, Mejia, for throwing that one up to red. That was awesome. And, uh, also just my songwriter uh, side, um, li- because it's funny, we described kind of, we talked about the different instruments and patches in this uh, song, but I listened to it with more like a broader picture and I just try to hear the whole piece as one mm. versus like trying to and to me this is a really good sign because when i listen for technical stuff it's usually that there are mistakes or things that are distracting but when i just listen to the song it just means that the band is spot on and that's when you have a really high level um of musicianship there's a unique bass pizzicato technique that that i originally got hip to by matt garrison This technique uses in succession. There's a few different ways to do it. Your thumb, this is the way that Matt Garrison does it. Your thumb, your index finger, your middle finger, and your ring finger. And he would strike the note first with his thumb and then the rest of the fingers in succession like this. And you're doing it, like I'm kind of mimicking it. Yeah, this is <laughs> really Red good in a non-visual format. Uh, it, this is great. <laughs> cool. This is perfect podcast behavior. Um, very similar to classical guitar. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. flamenco yeah. kind of. Uh, so what you're able to do, obviously, is like because you are you have more time to, I guess, reload the finger after it's plucked and done its job. Mm-hmm. You can play. You minimize the space in between notes. So it's very fast. And as a 19 year old you know, kid basically getting into bass and wanting to like. I thought it was cool to play really fast. I heard this technique. It was like, what is going on? I got to learn how to do that. Blew up my arm, got tendonitis learning how to do it. So I don't know that I recommend uh, people go out and try and do this because it is very challenging. But here's an example of Tony Gray. Now, Tony does it differently. He doesn't use his thumb as all, at all. He uses his pinky up to his his index finger. Very challenging to build the muscles in your pinky finger to be able to strike a note on a bass guitar in a way that's going to have a similar tone because that's the thing to make this technique work the tone can't vary drastically between fingers That's it. Cool. That's all I got on this track. Um, I think I'm ready to move on out of bass world into uh, into our next selection. Listen to the story now. Left a good job in the city. Working for the man every night and day. And I never lost one minute of sleep. And I was worrying about the way the thing might have been. Big wheel, keep on turning. Ooh, the proud Mary, keep on burning. Rada, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is Proud Mary by uh, Ike and uh, Tina Turner. And it's originally 
a Credence Clearwater song. It was originally CCR. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. I haven't listened to CCR in a long time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Proud Mary. So, yeah, I mean, any any thoughts on the song in general before we dive into, like, what makes it impossible to cover? Is there anything else that, that uh, made you want to pick this song today? I've just been listening to this song since I was a kid, and my dad was always playing it for us. My sisters would dance to it like crazy, trying to imitate Tina Turner when she performs it live. And it's just, like impossible to describe how you know addicting that song is and like how how special that energy is it just lights a fire in you and uh i just think like this one kind of became the main version for the younger mm-hmm. generation totally. mm-hmm. even though i'm a big fan of credence and i yeah. listen to them still to this day anytime i'm driving down the road that's i just play their albums yeah, I'm a fan of both versions for sure. But I, I thought this was an interesting choice because I was, I was like, this proves that you can do this cover. But I, I think it would be easier to be presented with the CCR version and then asked to do a cover of that than to be presented with this version and be asked to do a cover of it. Well, Definitely. I, it's just that I see them completely like the way Tina Turner uh, covered this song. She made it her own. I've never seen anyone able to reproduce this version with this energy. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people trying to cover her specific version. Totally. That just feels a little more like folk and a little like, okay, a good performer can pull this off. Hers feels like you need this voice to make this happen. Yeah, and, and yeah. The, the reason why I was also saying for the younger generations is like, for example, if I think of another song that's um, pretty similar in terms of what happened, it would be Make You Feel My Love by um, Bob Dylan. Yeah, I love mm. that song. Now, I mean, most people think it's an Adele uh-huh. song. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yeah, the Tina Turner song, a lot of people don't even know that it's a Credence Clearwater song. I think i did but like i hadn't thought of that version in forever like this is this is the version that i think of i was like the live version of this track of course is one that i i really really think of i think i had to cover it in a wedding band once too i don't think that it was nearly as successful as maybe covers of uh kung fu that i that i did earlier but it's yeah it's challenging that you also I mean, did for weddings yeah yeah definitely had to um but reddit what do you think makes this song particularly impossible to cover um I think it's the performance. I think it's mm. a magical, like, even though it's a, we're listening to the studio version, I can bet that it's been, most of it has been recorded live and there's mm-hmm. a comp, but everyone is playing live at the same time because you could hear the uh, ambience on the drums. You can hear that everyone is kind of in the same room mm-hmm. uh, with some exceptions. There's not a single thing from the way she speaks to the way the band plays and the chemistry, like, it's impossible to find a mistake or like something that is out of place in this version. Sometimes it's just the magic that's captured. It's impossible to recreate, like on the Sinatra records.
there's something to it. There's like a, a groove to it. You can almost feel through your speakers the mindset of the artist at the time. And it's reassuring. It makes you feel good. And you completely trust them, even the way she starts the song. You know, every now and then, I think you might like to hear something from us. Nice and easy. But there's just one thing, you see. We never, ever do nothing nice and easy. She's like, this is how we, we're going to do it. And you're here just sitting there like, okay, boss, we're watching, <laughs> you know? The way the song starts, I'm going to call it a monologue. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it, it's just so, it's so challenging. Like she's hitting her spots on it. And like, she's just talking over this, this groove. And then when she hits the verse, it's like, okay, no, everything that she just said was timed perfectly to be able to land with Ike and start that verse. And like, it, it's just, if you went to do that as a cover, that would be the thing is like, this would not translate. This would be, mm -hmm. if, unless you spent a lot of time, like learning to perform and act, like it's just acting really mm -hmm. in that moment, that would be so challenging to recreate live. Like, yeah. oh man. Cause well, I, I think partly because yeah. I don't think she is acting. I think that's so sincere yeah, yeah. that you can't recap. Uh -huh. It is, that. it's sincere, yeah. but I wonder if it was like, improvised or because oh, it just is so perfectly it's very articulate in in the groove mm -hmm. like too like it just the way it lands like she knows exactly like this is what i'm going to say where i'm going to say it mm -hmm. yeah it feels like um, spoken word yeah it's it's beautiful it's also um, there's only one tina turner <laughs> it, that's, that's that was my other line. thought is yeah. like dude like how do you like it's like like may like bohemian rhapsody like or whatever yeah. like yeah, yeah. you can't be freddy no matter yeah. how hard you try adam yeah <laughs> Who, who's which Adam? Are you he's doing a good job. Lambert. He's uh, the oh yeah, Lambert. yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> he's, about, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Um, yeah, no. It, like when you pick a <laughs> iconic whoever, it's just kind of like, all right, good luck. Like there's no chance. Like if you get in the ballpark, though, I think people can be incredibly impressed. But it's always never going to be like, well, it wasn't mm -hmm. Tina, right? Like it's just, it's just unbelievable. Obviously big part of the song Greta and I, I don't want to if you're mm -hmm. we're going to talk about it, I don't want to steal your your points but like the transition oh of yeah of course I almost was about to say it's it's almost like you you buy one you get one for free it's like two songs in <laughs> yeah. one and like with yeah. two different vibes okay you guys want to chill here's your version And then whoever wants to get up and dance, here's your version. Here's an entirely different type of thing you can't cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also that flip. Like, just to be able to flip from, like, intimate to, like, I am controlling the entire room. Yeah. You must look at me. That's amazing. The hard thing, though, too, about that where if you're performing a cover of this where things can inevitably go off the rails is the mechanics of that transition. The hits, the very first hit is on the end of two. And then the, when the horn section comes in, they're coming in on beat one. So the drum setting it up on the end of two, which is like pretty 
challenging thing. Like typically what you do if you're going to set up with a hit, it'd be like on beat four or the end of four to mm-hmm. set up beat one, right? But like setting it up on the end of two, I think still to this day, it's this is one of those things where I will hear a groove differently until the one really gets established. Like maybe when the vocals come in a little bit later and it's like, okay, there's one, but I was feeling everything maybe on the end of or the offbeat or like one was like some nebulous thing for me. That part is like every time I get kind of like, like anxiety hearing that. Cause it's like, <laughs> man, that would be the moment like coming up as we're playing, like some, somebody's going to mess this up for, for sure. Yeah. I just don't want it to be me. <laughs> And then you're thinking so hard about that that it is you. <laughs> yeah, and then just try and cover for it somehow. But It's almost bad because if you're playing this song at a wedding, everyone is used to that drop when the band comes in of the Tina yeah. Turner version. So you're almost like you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're almost sure that you're not going to give that exact same impact. And you set yourself for like disappointing a bunch of people. Definitely. I think I would delay it. Like if I had to do, if I had to cover this, I would keep people waiting a little longer <laughs> until <laughs> just, they're drunk. <laughs> yeah, or or just because you can't, like you can't pull it off. So maybe I might go like an extra bar before that happens or something, uh-huh. just so that satisfaction does come. Smart. Rolling, rolling, yeah. Rolling, rolling on a river. We gotta give a lot of credit to Ike because he literally sounds like God chilling in the background. <laughs> and he's such a big part. Like, you know, when, yeah. when people sing it, there's always like a, um, a guy in the background trying to take that low, round, reassuring voice. It almost sounds like a double bass. Yeah. I was just gonna say it would have to be Carter, and I don't, I don't know that I you can get, get quite close. that low. <laughs> couldn't get close. That low with that clear of tone is uh, yeah. ridiculous. Doesn't that feel like the kind of vocal line that they're like, "Oh, the bass player will do it." Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm guessing you have, like, I mean, you have an incredible voice. Thank I'm, you. I'm yeah, betting you've your range is like, uh, you know, close. It's like it's it's almost like okay. So if you try to do it, it's almost like you're trying to make yourself sound rounder, like. Rolling, mm-hmm. rolling, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Down, <laughs> like almost like um, that's pretty yeah, good. it's like yeah, that is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just this thing where like some people have a tone of voice that's just it it you believe them because it's a it's one thing yeah. to imitate, it's another thing mm-hmm. to make the listener believe you. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Man, yeah, I don't have any other thoughts. Either of you had any other thoughts on this track before we move on? I think we've got everything covered. I mean, right we on. could obviously talk about it for forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> right. uh, here is uh, the, here's our last selection for the episode. <laughs> Yeah, what uh, do we have the pleasure of listening to? Yeah, go with me here. Um, We're listening to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. (laughs) Um, All right. Okay, let's just start by saying I have been on a roll lately on the podcast with these song selections that are like super intellectual brain melters. Like I think I did Conlon and Carol in the last one and talked about like tempo ratios. 
yeah, it's, it's it's been a lot. So this might just be a palate cleanser for me in some ways to go totally in the other direction. But I can justify this choice for this episode, okay. I think. Just to be a nerd, let me start by giving you an excerpt from the Oxford Dictionary of Music's definition of the word cover. It starts by saying, it is a term used in contemporary popular music to refer to performance or recording of a previously released song. Um, Carter, I sent you an audio clip. Can you yep. play that for us by any chance? So what does it take for a song to be released, in your opinion? Are you putting this on the episode? Just, just answer the question. Uh, I think that it needs to be somewhere public that, you know, So it doesn't need to be to recorded? It. I do think it needs to be recorded, yes. Are you sure? That's what I think. I mean, that could <laughs> be wrong. It's totally fine. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so that's my gotcha moment. What? You, um, what? Because, because in order to justify this choice, I needed to be able to prove that my understanding... I feel violated, <laughs> by the way. That's not... I mean, you knew. It, like, you knew. You, you, you heard the evidence. You knew that this was going on the podcast. But I needed to be able to, like, firm up my understanding of the word cover a little bit better. So by your definition... A cover has to be a new version of a song that was previously recorded. Um, if we want to climb further down that rabbit hole, recorded to me doesn't necessarily mean audio recording. It could mean like notated or something like that, you know. But this song's origins are actually so unclear that it can't be traced back to an original composer, despite what people think about Mozart. Mm-hmm. And I have a little uh, actually story about this song Excellent. that I that I've learned. It's not, it's not my story, but uh, I didn't know that. So I'm part French, and apparently it, it was an old poem. Yes, and an old French melody, apparently. It was an English poem written, written by Jane Taylor. Right. It was called The Star in the early 19th century. And um, basically, this poem was sung to a French melody of a song called A vous dirais-je maman, which translates for, oh, um, I'll tell you mom. I'm so excited that you're here and can pronounce those things correctly because I yeah. have it written down and I cannot pronounce French words <laughs> yeah. in a way that is admirable. <laughs> and this song was like published in 1761. Yeah. So it was published in 1761 for the first time, but yeah. it could have been written prior to 1740 exactly. potentially. And there is yeah. no confirmed composer. There's the man who put yeah. it in the in the collection of songs in 1761, um, uh -huh. which were songs essentially to be played at garden parties, which I think is very funny. Um, it's a little bit like green sleeves or something where it's like you kind of know who the composer could have been, but there's nothing to prove it. Um, yeah, I, a lot of people believe that it's Mozart. Right. But that didn't happen so much later. And what he yeah. so what he actually did um, is he did 12 variations on the mm -hmm. original melody, which Retta pronounced beautifully, so I'm not going to try. So Mozart, you could argue, actually did a cover version, but we don't know of who. <laughs> and since there was nothing recorded of that necessarily, then by Carter's definition, even Mozart's thing wasn't covering uh, anything so i was set up <laughs> well set I'm, up. I'm just saying it's impossible to cover because it's so unclear it's so unclear as yeah. to whether or not this fits the definition of cover at any point because like melody separate from lyrics those are two separate things mm -hmm. already 
And then we're attributing mm-hmm. it to an artist who was actually doing like reimaginings of it. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Um, I'm going to throw mm-hmm. another wrench into that and say the other reason why I feel like it is impossible to cover, even if you're going to credit it to Mozart, is um, temperament. You guys familiar mm-hmm. with the word temperament? Like tuning mm-hmm. systems? Yeah. So Mozart used uh, he used a type of temperament called mean tone. He specifically used one sixth comma mean tone temperament, uh, which is just it's a different tuning system than we have now. Um, yeah, I think it w- it wasn't four forty hertz at the the middle C. Wasn't I'm not sure where C is. I just know that the relationship between different notes within the octave isn't or, the same as what we use today. Okay. It's also not the or same. A. Yeah, sorry, A. Right. Um, it's also not the same as like the well-tempered clavier, the box stuff. It is a tuning system in which um, like C sharp and D flat are actually different from each other. Huh. And for that reason, like a piece of music will sound different transposed into a different key. Um, it means that when you play like Mozart's easy piano pieces and stuff like that today, it's not quite the same tuning as how he would have mm. played them so in some ways it's like at what point does that mean you're playing a slightly different melody you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wild wild <laughs> stuff i um very interesting I, yeah right why would this change over time like our our standard I think taste in years system i think also like like bach hated the piano right he didn't he thought it was gonna yeah. be a fad and a flash in the pan um it's this whole other realm of music that i mean rather you had to study acoustic stuff in school i'm Mm -hmm. guessing and i i did too though i wasn't great at it um there's just a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of math involved there's actually um there is a musician named bradley lehman l-e-h-m-a-n who's an expert on the harpsichord and bach and he has a pretty great website that we can link to in show notes um where he explains the differences between some of these and also gives demonstrations on a harpsichord in different tunings by coincidence he uses twinkle twinkle little star and you can hear the difference between twinkle twinkle little star in uh well-tempered versus one-sixth comma mean tone temperament and things like that it's subtle it just like things sound wobbly but yeah i think if i remember correctly one quarter comma mean tone the octave is like I think it's broken up into like 55 parts. Whoa. Like I can't even process it, especially on an instrument like the piano, which you can't tune yourself. Like the harpsichord was a oh, yeah, more friendly sure. <laughs> to tune instrument. Right? <laughs> um, but you could play with this stuff on guitars and it's really interesting for sure. I think some of it is standardization because like in mean tone, again, the piano being a different instrument than the harpsichord, it's a little more, you know, things just aren't cut like in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, you don't even get a proper perfect fifth in mean tone temperament. At least that's my understanding, because um, it was designed to favor the major third, I believe, hmm. uh, which makes sense because that is a more consonant interval in mm-hmm. general, and it's like one of the most favored intervals in like classical Baroque music. But I think some of it had to do with orchestras being able to standardize what they were doing, so that like. If you heard a piece played in Berlin, it would sound similar to how you'd hear it played in New York or whatever. So, yeah, that's the other reason I don't think you can cover a piece that was written 
properly um, if it was written in a different temperament. <laughs> when I saw your choice, I was like, this is interesting. Because right? yeah. literally it's yeah. been covered by every single mother. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most covered song. This is Happy Birthday. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. and it's Baba Black Sheep. That's the same, the ABC song, the alphabet yeah, song. Yeah, sure is. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Well, I think now is time for <laughs> uh, my favorite part of the podcast where we get to learn a little bit more about our guest. Retta, I mean, we got to know you through your incredible skills as, a, as an engineer and, and working with that. But you also do so many other things. You're a songwriter, incredible vocalist, performer, guitarist, composer, producer. Now's your chance to share with our audience just everything that you're up to, where they can find you, where they can find your music. Please, the floor is yours. Well, first, thanks for all the compliments. Yeah, you're very welcome. I mean, I, I didn't pay him, guys, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so I do engineering, but mainly I would say producer, songwriter is what I do most. And I just love music as we all do here and mm -hmm. love making songs. I'm lucky enough to be doing what I love and be working for myself. So yeah, mainly I write songs for uh, film, TV, music libraries. Uh, I do a lot of covers actually, or arrangement. Uh, that's how, kind of how I started on um, YouTube. It's, it's very broad. It's like, it goes anywhere from like songwriting, which is the main thing to engineering as um, a lot of people know. And like, it could be like engineering music or podcasts, voiceovers, it's kind of like you have to do it all. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm very passionate about what I do and just love sharing um, that with people like you guys. And are there any links that you'd like to, um, to hit people to? Yeah, my website is uh, Reda Music. So it's R-E-D-A-H dot com. Uh, same thing, Instagram is Reda Music, R-E-D-A-H uh, Music. It's pretty straightforward and the website would be the, um, the place to go for any other info or like collaborations or even details about what I do. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to dig into every song mentioned on this episode, be sure to check out the Spotify playlist in our show notes. Remember to get those Summer of Synthwave Calm Trues Remix Contest remixes in by Saturday, September 17th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. And be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. 